This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists. So go check out the Every Town podcast because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries, or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. There was a true curiosity as to our military potential back in that summer of 47. And that first flash at Trinity, that first atomic bomb detonation, is still traversing out through the galaxy like an intelligent beacon, as though it's alerting someone from off the planet that check out these new kids on the block, they're now playing with atomic you know, weaponry. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. The International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. That's our focus for tonight's program. We just spent the previous hour with the Vice President, Gary Heseltine. Uh, this hour, the North American representative, Roswell investigator, author, Donald R. Schmidt, is the North American representative for ICER, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. 
He's the former co-director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, where he served as director of special investigations for 10 years. Prior to that, Don was a special investigator for the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek and the art director for the International UFO Reporter. He's also the author of hundreds of articles about UFOs, as well as the co-author of a number of best-selling books, uh, UFO Crash at Roswell, The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell, Witness to Roswell, uh, The Children of Roswell, um, The Secret History of Wright-Patterson, also uh, Roswell, The Chronological Pictorial. Always a pleasure to welcome Don Schmidt to the program. Hey, Don, how are you? Good evening, Richard. My pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So, North American representative, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a territory. <laughs> you are the representative for the entire continent of North America. So, uh, how did this happen? Just uh, you and uh, Gary Heseltine talking, and you offered your services, or he recruited you? No, actually, and lest anybody listening tonight thinks that this has anything to do since the New York Times, you know, article in December of 2017 or anything regarding, you know, the Senator Marco Rubio Intelligence Subcommittee report or the Navy Task Force uh, report that we're waiting on. This was even a couple years before when here in the, in the States we were approached by a number of Chinese investigators with the plan to first of all create a, an exhibit for the first time that we would actually have a UFO exhibit in China. And we were looking at uh, a number of major cities and we finally agreed to a Chongqing city of over 30 million people. You're talking Mexico City. And my first trip to China, we started to talk about putting together some type of global, you know, representation that we would have, you know, uh, representatives from as many countries as possible. And the second trip, we actually started talking about UN, UNESCO, representation. In other words, we'd have to have 30 countries. And they were relying on me to, you know, put together as many representatives as possible. Well, my final trip, my third trip to China, they actually invited in a group of Russian representatives, including two of the cosmonauts. And we met privately, and we spent the better part of an evening where we actually hashed out how we could put together some form of coalition. Well, the next thing we knew, we were being invited to Moscow. And that's where I was asked, how many representatives could you bring in from, you know, is from five continents? And it became billed as, you know, this five-continent summit. And one of the people I invited in was Gary, Gary from England. I felt that, uh, you know, that he would be a wonderful representative as far as the U.K. And I had Dr. Roberta Planelli and other, uh, as far as colleagues, who uh, were, were part of this, A.G. Gerviard, as far as from Brazil, and uh, the, the Chinese reps were there. And we sat down, and over the course of two days, we put together, as far as uh, the foundation of the actual creation of this coalition. Well, 
the Chinese wanted to have it headquartered, obviously, in China. Well, we were concerned about all the government involvement, the fact that, you know, we would have to, you know, work directly with the Chinese government and then be under their auspices, that they essentially would dictate, you know, the uh, the very working order and uh, as far as the representation, and uh, we would be under the umbrella of essentially a communist country, so to speak. So as we, put, we, we withdrew from China, that's when we waited another half a year, and that's when, minus the Chinese at least at that time, because they fell away from us. Not, it wasn't uh, the other way around. And as we found ourselves just still sitting on all these countries that were willing to become part of this group, that we decided, and Gary was one of the principal people involved, and Dr. Panotti, we decided, let's proceed, let's move forward. And the wonderful thing about today's technology with Zoom, we have been able to stay in regular contact, and it has grown in the last three years to the point that, as Gary described, we finally we went public. We announced as far as our official status, our official as far as 27-country representation, and the fact that we are now beyond investigation. We have all sworn and then signed an oath that after 75 years of investigation, we accept that we are dealing with an intelligence most likely off the planet, and that now it comes down to how do we inform the public, how do we educate the public, and how do we start to take back the narrative away from the governments who have been deceiving us about this reality over these last seven decades. So this um, uh, attempt, you know, to to be able to address the United Nations, UNESCO, and so forth. Right. Uh, you're going to need kind of a sponsor country to take up those questions on your behalf because only, exactly. you know. So which country out there, in your estimation, is the best candidate? Is it a country like France, for example? The, the, I mean, their aerospace people have been very, very open and transparent about their their interests in in this subject, in their investigations into this uh, absolutely I mean, is it is it a country like France uh, but but the irony Richard is the fact that we cannot even for the moment we can't even get a representative from France that's that interesting it's not that it's it's not that they don't want to be part of the coalition it's the internal fighting as to well who should be and so we don't have time for that we're proceeding either with or without any countries which we have invited uh and and believe me we we continue to uh, as far as vet additional rep representatives we're close to securing a rep from france but again for the moment we don't so we're looking at countries such as such as Liechtenstein, such as portugal such as even san marino and uh it's, it's going to be a, a, a long, arborous uh, project as far as just, uh, just going through that entire process. 
but that was, again, one of the reasons, one of the very purposes, one of the objectives of even creating the coalition, that we would then solicit as far as actual representation at the U.N. Do you have, do you have people that are, do you have access, let's say, to people who have access to, uh, to these black ops programs? Uh, are you getting, do you have whistleblowers? No, well, we, and we expect to have whistleblowers. It's just that we haven't, as of yet, you know, actually approached some of the, the past people who have gone on the record, some of the people who have you know, even testified in Washington. When, we, when I was part of the citizens' hearing in Washington, there were numerous whistleblowers that now we would like to revisit and with the hope that they would lead to others. One of my personal concerns is, as far as that, with the present anticipation of either the congressional report or the intelligence subcommittee report or even the Navy task force report to Congress, that there have yet to be spelled out any provisions for whistleblowers, for potential candidates who would be uh, in need of immunity, that they could testify. Um, to me, it will fall short if they present or provide anything short of hearings where people will then be afforded an opportunity to testify on the record as to their own personal experiences. And I'm talking strictly military. And short of that, I agree, that's where ICER will step in and fill that void. In other words, given that it's a coalition of other countries, it's going to be, if you remember Richard, with, with Heineck, he always had what was called his invisible college. And so he actually was the initiator of the idea that, just, tr just imagine what clout, what uh, unity as far as in creating a coalition of of multiple countries that could step in and put pressure from outside respective governments, respective uh, as far as uh, uh, military establishments. And that's what ICER potentially, you know, represents, the idea that it's no longer just ufologists within America. It's 27 countries that are now unified and stepping forward and saying, now, wait a minute, you're not being transparent about this. You're not being honest about this. And let us cite you know, chapter and verse as to why we don't believe you, why you have demonstrated over the last 75 years that you cannot be trusted on this matter. And so in many ways I look back and I think that Dr. Heinig would look, be looking down at me right now and going, you know, Don, you know, I'm very proud of you. Or Don, you know, uh, Alan would be very proud of what we're attempting to do here, because in many ways it was what he originally attempted to do. So you need to get to the 30 country threshold, and that's when you're, you're hoping that the you'll have access basically to the United Nations, if you can find kind of a sponsor country to, to, to take your questions. That's What's going to be the, what would be the first question that would be asked uh, 
under such this under such an eventuality? What would be the first question? Do you have one ready to go? Well, yes, yes, and in fact, that's one of the things that I have been pushing as far as what ICER that uh, it's not only just a, an existence of the group of the eventual thirty countries that have united as much as that we become proactive, that we you know do things collectively as 30 countries have come together and then really push for disclosure with a capital D. Um, we've made such a big to-do, and rightfully so, of the gun camera footage, the Tic Tac you know, incident off the Pacific Ocean. And it's just one gun camera example. Most, and I'm surprised even my own colleagues within ufology, they don't even mention or describe the fact that when Project Blue Book was declassified in 1977, how many people in our field, Richard, had even taken the time to go through those files and realize that there are no less than 21 gun camera cases even listed, described in detail. And no one ever questions, well, okay, if the project... If the refiles have been declassified, not even a single frame of footage. Where is all that film? You've declassified the project. Uh, what about the gun camera film? So we would like to spearhead an effort. Okay, that's, uh, you know, we're talking contemporary. Now we're talking about over the last 60 years, 65 years. We want to go after those, gu- those gun camera films. That would just be, a, you know, an opening salvo and our part. Another example would be that post-World War II, when Germany essentially uh, did not have a government, and it was in many respects run here by the U.S., and we, we, we discovered that there's a major void that for about 25 years, all the UFO sightings that took place in Germany are not part of any German investigation, not part of their military, which was, you know, non-existent as far as uh, the country was concerned. Where did they all go? Well, they most likely came here, to America. And so we'd be starting major FOIA as far as representing the Germans as to where all their cases were were being compiled, being investigated. And uh, no surprise that they were being investigated by American suits post-World War II. So Don Schmidt, just- uh, Don, let me just um, uh, reset here. We're going to head into a break here in a minute. Yeah. Don yeah. Schmidt, U.S. representative of the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. The website is ICER, that's I-C-E-R dot network, I-C-E-R, ICER dot network. Um, we'll, uh, we'll open up the phone lines here in a moment and also take uh, more questions from our YouTube live chat. Um, in fact, Victor, here's Victor Vigiani with one. Victor, welcome. Uh, how important is the international aspect of the ICER initiative? Well, quickly, it demonstrates, and, and, and certainly a shortcoming here in the States, that we long talked about if we could present a united front, what, you know, uh, authority, not only for having a vast knowledge of the history, but that we could become a major, as far as resource for the media, the mainstream media. 
And as we've been observing, they know nothing on this subject. It's just really, it's really appalling that when you talk about, and I think you would agree with me, Richard, we're talking about potentially the biggest story of the millennium. And that yes. uh, they have uh, not been our guardians at the gate, so to speak. That whatever the government, whatever the military has proclaimed as to solutions and resolutions and and projects and committees that have met regarding the UFO, you know, uh, mystery, they have always fallen short. Uh, a, a, a great uh, recent example would be Maria Bartonola, if I have that name correct, on Fox. Yes. And she was talking to uh, John Radcliffe, the former director of national intelligence here in the States. And when he, he brought up the fact that, oh, you know, this phenomenon is worldwide, it's global. I mean, there's, you know, there's similar experiences all around the world. And she went, you're kidding. I thought this was strictly an American phenomenon. Well, how? Oh dear how Lord! Absolutely naive can you be? Yeah, but that's emba- that's an embarrassment, Don. We've talked about this many times in the program, uh, and, and Victor uh, as well. And and one of the things that would really help kick in the door in terms of disclosure would be to have a a White House um, press gallery member or someone who's covering the Pentagon beat to stand up and ask that sort of that Lollapalooza question. But it seems to me that, and then we've, we've really, I think, learned this lesson uh, during COVID is we can't, we can't rely on the mainstream media to do anything, but, uh, but provide cover for people in authority. Uh, And so, how, you know, how are we then going to to get that question asked? At least in the United States. I mean, it's it, it, it's probably different in other countries, but but in the United States, how are you going to get a reporter to ask that question in the White House press press gallery or the Pentagon or I don't know the State Department or wherever? And we do have at least a number of individuals within the media that are presently stepping forward. They're trying to play catch up. Unfortunately, they're drawn to some of the, the less qualified, the new kids on the block, so to speak, who really have no knowledge, no concept of the history. They're treating the subject, they're talking as though this is a contemporary you know, situation that has only you know, been happening over the last 20 years. Um, I don't know if Gary got into it, but when we had a, a, a private meeting, as far as ICER with Luis Elizondo, and um, I brought up Roswell, and we've attempted that before, and he doesn't want to go there. And I'm finally, I'm concluding it's because he doesn't know anything about it, probably only what he's read. I, I, I doubt that he's searched out any files, any information on it, or talked to anybody inside regarding uh, the, uh, you know, this, this granddaddy of all UFO cases. But I find that to be the case not only with uh, you know people who were or are still connected. I mean, Elizondo. I'm sure he ha- he still and he's told me he still has a you know he's still under security oath. They're still keeping him on a on a short leash. But then we're also dealing as far as with gov- government officials, and we've met with and, and enlisted and tried to get them to work with constituents. Work with witnesses, people who, again, would you know potentially be whistleblowers, and so they need to 
educate themselves on the subject. And I, I, I sadly find, you know, 99.9% of Washington knows nothing about this subject. And to me, that's also dangerous because you're talking, if, if today it's considered a potential threat, and I find, you know, the overuse of that word by, again, the media, they cannot talk about UFOs without talking about the threat that all of a sudden today, in 2021, it's first a threat to national security. Well, what about back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s? Well, it, it wasn't a threat back then. I mean, we talk about all the infiltrations with the nuclear, the SAC facilities, Strategic Air Command, you know, the shutdown, all the Minuteman silos and Malmstrom and Minot and, and other such incidents involving as far as nuclear missile silos. That goes back to the 60s. And here's the media once again just totally demonstrating that they never cared about this subject in the past, so why should we trust them today? To them, it's just another story. It's more entertainment. And they want to act as though... They have hands-on, that they're right there in the foreground, and they're the people to go to regarding getting this, you know, the truth about the subject. Well, we both know Richard. They're the last ones. And I think that's one of the reasons that ICER would attempt not only to step to the forefront, not only you know, in representing respective countries, but the fact that for the first time, we're going to demonstrate that this indeed is a global phenomenon and that some of the best cases of all are in other countries. That uh, they, uh, they, they, they demonstrate time and time again that we're dealing with an intelligence off the planet. And if, they, if the government of the United States wants to suggest for a second that we're dealing with either Russian or Chinese technology, well, I'm sorry, it wasn't Russian or Chinese technology back in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s. So then what were we dealing with back then? Right, right. Um, I was asking Gary this. Uh, I'll ask you the same question. Because Gary was saying, okay, it's not – It's the, the United States basically said it's not us. And so Gary was saying that means it's a two-horse race. It's either extraterrestrials or it's foreign adversaries. And both you and Gary said it can't be foreign adversaries for that reason you just stated. But isn't there another option? And that option is that we're talking about, as Richard Dolan has talked about, a breakaway civilization. Uh, it has no allegiance to any country. It exists above the, the nation state. And so, you know, there, there may be individuals in the United States uh, that have access to this technology. There may be individuals, in, you know, a Russian oligarch. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, what about that as an option, that, that, it, that these crafts are from our planet? The occupants are human. But again, this is a breakaway civilization. But even the breakaway civilization would have had a beginning. It would have had, as far as technology, dropped into their possession that they were then able to reverse engineer to, um, you know, develop into fleets of, uh, uh, as far as these sophisticated, high-tech, 100-year-advanced uh, 
technology that have tra- been traversing you know all around the world within sovereign airspace that have you know violated as far as sovereign airspace time and time again at the risk of war at the risk of retaliation at the risk of being shot down and falling into enemy hands um Again, and we'd be talking about back to the 40s. I mean, that may sound all right today, but what, again, were we dealing with when the United States Air Force, the government of the United States, established the first project, Project Sign, within months after Roswell, then Project Grudge, then Blue Book, and then all these ancillary projects that were also trying to determine what we were dealing with. I accept that when then, you know, President Dwight Eisenhower, you know, warned us about the military-industrial complex, that being potentially the breakaway, you know, as far as advancement that may have um, been able to find the on button, all the way, you know, back to 1947 with Roswell. But then I would ask your audience to consider if they were able to reverse-engineer the technology, if they were able to break away. And that's one of the reasons today, Richard, when I'm asked, where do you believe the technology is today? If they had a recovered, crashed UFO, let's say Roswell, back to 1947, where do you believe the technology, where do you believe the hardware is today? And I will flatly state, it is not with the United States government, it is not with the United States military. And that may be the, 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 the dilemma that they face today, in that they no longer have it in their possession. That as the United States government slash military does not manufacture anything as to tanks, planes, ships, it's all contracted out. It's all assimilated into the private sector, just as we know they did with such technology starting back in 1947. It's one of the reasons that we have had first-hand witnesses regarding Roswell at Los Alamos, at Battelle Institute, at Rand Corporation, at Boeing, at Lockheed, at General Electric, at Hughes Aircraft. So, in other words, these are all government-contracted private corporations who build all of the military hardware that we're so impressed with when we see an F-35 Raptor and we think, my God, isn't that fantastic that we have hovercraft that can take off and ascend as far as like a rocket from point A to point B in a matter of seconds. But it's all privately contracted. And so that's another thing that we keep pointing fingers at Washington when it is, and it happens to be, the private corporations that indeed may have broken away. They may have created as far as fantastic technology beyond anything that we presently are aware of, but it was because it was given to them. It was provided to them with the instructions, with the orders to find the on button. They didn't just stumble upon this. Something happened, and I, for one, am convinced that it was because of Roswell. 
Don Schmidt, the North American representative for ICER, International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Back with more. Stay with us. Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon-60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C, 172 times. ESS-60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS-60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification. Further, people report better sleep, more energy, and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS-60 organic oil. To order your miracle molecule ESS-60, click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast or go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. C- C60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Buy now and save 10% by using the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Again, use the coupon code EVRS at checkout. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess he better say it because Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Uh, Don, will other countries follow in this upcoming disclosure and reveal anything? Have you heard much from other countries? No, and that also is rather strange for the moment. Just as strange as we're not hearing from the Air Force or other branches of the military that were waiting as far as on the Navy task force to provide, you know, their report to Congress. So I think there's a wait-and-see attitude across the board. And let's just say that we, if we get anything suggesting that, yes, there is indeed an intelligence that is beyond, you know, our own state of technology and we're, we're working on it. I think it's just a classic example of, yeah, something's there. We're working on it. And we both know, Richard, that um, whether it was the Twining letter in September of 1947, where General Twining conceded, yes, the phenomenon is real and it's not visionary or fictitious. You know, flying saucers are real. And then the, the, the report of Project Sign, where they concluded that it was interplanetary. But General Hoyt uh, Vandenberg ordered the report burned, uh, that type of thing. So we've come full circle. So maybe, again, it'll be an acknowledgement that there is a phenomenon. It's beyond our, you know, state of technology, but we're working on it. And for no other reason to, to increase their budget to get, you know, to get an allowance from Congress, well, we need to get to the bottom of this, especially if it's a threat to national security. And then maybe some other countries will trickle in. We at least hope that there will be statements, and that's one thing that ICER will also be pushing for, that no matter what the U.S. government finally proclaims, that we will be soliciting position statements from the other countries. Donald, what are your thoughts on the theory that aliens are really us visiting from the future? That's always a great question, because even regarding Roswell, the very thought that, well, 
they're all they're, the occupants are always described as humanoid that they don't look much different than we do or maybe an advanced evolutionary as far as human species that type of thing we know time is relevant we know that when we look at a starlit sky that many of those stars as we see them tonight no longer exist so uh, it's not beyond the pale not beyond you know the very concept that the one thing that forced as far as the initial cover-up was their consideration that maybe we're dealing with something not so much nuts and bolts that we're dealing with something from the future. I'm very open to it, and it, but it doesn't make it any less extraordinary because just imagine that they'd have to consider that possibility that we're dealing with us from the future. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And Don, you're a devout Catholic. I'm a yes. Greek Orthodox. We both, you know, we put everything through the Bible. That's our, the faith filter, as I, I like to call it. Um, and you and I have talked about this before. I know you're open, you know, to the possibility that, that what we are experiencing here, and it, this is what makes the most sense to me, uh, are not necessarily off-planet, but interdimensionals. In other yeah. words, from the angelic realm. That's not always a popular view in ufology. The idea that we are dealing with angels, fallen angels, but it does fit the biblical narrative. Otherwise, it's outside of the biblical narrative. It's almost like they're interlopers. Talk to me about how you sort of, I don't know, process that, or and you and your colleagues, do you have these kind of, inside ICER, do you have these kind of conversations, or are, are you maybe um, an outlander in that regard? Well, let's also keep in mind that, that we had that uh, huge wave. It was the beginning of the modern age of UFOs that summer of 1947, and especially through the states, originating in the Northwest Pacific and then sweeping down through New Mexico. In fact, I, I find it you know just so amusing that whenever I'm lecturing on college campuses and I ask, where was the first atomic bomb detonated? and amazed at how many learned academics, you know, well, of course, Japan. Well, how about right in New Mexico? How about right in, you know, the United States, that type of thing. So even Project Blue Book determined that there were more UFO sightings in New Mexico than anywhere else in the world at that time. So it was as though there was a, a, a true curiosity as to our military potential back in that summer of 47. And that first flash at Trinity, that first atomic bomb detonation, is still traversing out to the galaxy like an intelligent beacon, as though it's alerting someone from off the planet that, you know, check out these new kids on the block. They're now playing with atomic, you know, you know weaponry. But the summer of 47, the Vatican put out a statement which read, it was the position of the church that the universe is most likely dealing with other creations. So in other words, they accepted that we were dealing with other creations beyond the planet. And that was reiterated as far as with Pope Benedict, and then Benedict even reinforced that with other statements regarding potential life. For example, when he was asked, when the Vatican was asked, well, if there should be an arrival of aliens from off the planet, what would the church's first response be? And Pope Benedict said, well, we would baptize them, or we would offer to baptize them, so that type of thing. 
And I would also point out when I, I posed the question, who operates more observatories around the world than any other organization? It's the Catholic Church. In fact, Father Robert Spitzer, who is with the, uh, the Magis Guild in Los Angeles, he's the lead Jesuit scientist, and he answers directly to Pope Francis. And I had a wonderful discussion with him, not only about Roswell, but UFOs in general. And again, reiterating the fact that as far as the Catholic Church, as far as his acceptance that they have no problem whatsoever in uh, dealing as far as with the very concept that there are other creations, that there's life on other planets. But still, we're talking about, well, how do you get from point A to point B? And Dr. Heineck, as an astronomer, he used to constantly wrestle with, you know, the nuts and bolts. And he would use the analogy, Richard, I think I've even run this by you in the past, that if you take just a single playing card from a deck of cards, not the width, but the thickness, the thickness of that single playing card representing the distance from the Earth to the moon, and then posing the question, how many playing cards would it take to represent the distance from the Earth to our nearest star system, Alpha Centauri, you know, 4.3 light years away? How many playing cards? And nobody would ever, you know, how would you possibly come up with an accurate or even a close guess as to, you know, the correct answer? Well, the correct answer is 19 miles of playing cards. Well, that's beyond human comprehension. And so Heineck would then suggest if, we were, if, we, if we'd have one good sighting a year around the world, that would be much more conducive to something off the planet, something traveling such vast distances. But we're dealing with phenomena that seems to pop in and out at will. It's as though it's here. It's right around us. It's, you know, it's able to slip in and out of our dimension, uh, you know, as, as it would, you know, desire. So, so there, too, it's, it's much, much more suggestive of something interdimensional, something that is here, something that has set up shop, they are here and able to interact with us whenever they choose. So um, I guess uh, to me that also smacks of the level of cover-up, the level of ignorance. And as you've heard me say in the past, Richard, I still remain convinced it's a cover-up of ignorance that to this day they still don't have any answers. They still don't know from where, from who, and from why so what do they disclose? What do they acknowledge? What do they, you know, tell, tell the world when they themselves are just as much in the dark today as they were back in 1947? Why is the military opening up now about the UFOs? What's their angle? I don't Very trust them. Very good question. Why today? Why today? What's different about today than it's been over the last 75 years? And I'm especially... Uh, curious as to if this potentially may have something to do with Space Force. Now, we saw this during the Reagan administration when he played that hand with SDI, Strategic uh, Defense Initiative, Star Wars, where we didn't even have it in operation, and yet he put that on the table 
with Gorbachev in Russia, and it's basically caused, or the beginning of the implosion of the Soviet Union. So I can just imagine that just uh, if, if this would be something in relationship to Space Force, that we are developing such techni- uh, technology, and the shock wave it would send through Russia and China. And as we, know, as we know here in the States, each branch of the military is in competition with one another. I can assure all your listeners, Richard, that they are not working together, that the Air Force does not cooperate with the Navy and vice versa. Prime example of that was during Desert Storm. When Storman Norman Schwarzkopf, you know, chief of staff of the Army, was complaining that we didn't, they didn't know if they should march into downtown Baghdad because the Air Force had declared air supremacy and the Navy was still launching Tomahawk missiles into downtown Baghdad. So again, one hand not knowing what the other hand was doing. So we also need to be wary and be prepared that it may be just a way to up the budgets, up the ante, that there's something there, we don't know what they are, but if we get more money, we can look into it, we can work on it, and we maybe we'll get back to you next year with some, re- some uh, advancement, some answers. So, again, whatever the United States government, whatever the Navy, whatever the Air Force, you know, dictates, as being any solution to this ongoing mystery, I'm not going to believe it for a second, because they haven't been truthful in 75 years. Why today? Great question. Why today? If America has a vested interest in keeping UFOs quiet, why hasn't, why hasn't Russia or China outed the situation for political gain? And that's another good question, and the other point being that if they want to suggest for a second that we're dealing with either Russian or Chinese technology. You want to talk about a major breakdown in U.S. intelligence, the fact that this has been happening under our noses all these years, and we haven't known about it. So it's a major conundrum, major, you know, uh, as far as breakdown of intelligence on the part of the United States military, and they're not going to concede that either. So another reason that we should be very leery, very wary of whatever the United States government announces, if they announce any form of disclosure regarding this subject, it still comes back to, why today? Who does it benefit? Whose agenda does it serve? And what is the next phase? Because this will be either a slow trickle, very incremental, or it's going to be, again, major deception. And that's why, look the other way. Whatever they tell us, look in the opposite direction. Don, are you concerned at all about a possible threat to human civilization posed by UFOs or the the pilots of these UFOs? If they are a threat today, why haven't they been a threat over the last 75 years? Where has the threat been? The threat, yeah, national security, they invade, you know, they fly through sovereign airspace with total impunity. Okay, fine. But why weren't they a threat back in the 40s? Why is it only a threat today? 
I be, be again be very concerned that there's a political agenda at stake here. That's another reason that we're going to be watching, and especially from as far as all these other countries, because we need them also to chime in. Because it's not just a U.S. problem, a U.S. situation. It's a global, worldwide, and that's why we all have to be watching. What's what's going to come out?、Uh, are we going to get a congressional hearing? Are we going to get any, or is it just going to be continued drip, drip, drip? That's what it needs to be. As I mentioned at the beginning, there has to be at least, a,、uh, as far as an offer, that there would be hearings, that they would provide immunity for whistleblowers, that they would provide, as far as an opportunity that people could testify. Anything short of that, it's going to be the same old, same old. It's not even going to be disclosure with a small D. It's going to be there's something there. We're working on it, and we'll get back to you. So, again, stall and delay, stall and delay, because that's all they can do because they don't have any answers either. All right,、uh, congratulations on this、uh, brand new organization, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, ICER. dot network icer dot network.、Um, we'll we'll look forward to、uh, to more developments from your organization, Don. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Richard. We'll talk soon, and continued success to you as well. Thank you so much for being there for all of us. A new conspiracy unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast dot com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need. We need constant petting. <laughs>